Welcome, everyone, to the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology's Expert Series podcast. I'm Wayne Stacy, the Executive Director for BCLT. And today we're talking about why President Biden raised non-compete clauses in his recent executive order. I'm here with two attorneys from Hogan Lovells that are both leading experts in trade secret litigation, both California and across the country. We have uh, Chris Cox and Joe Spurl. Welcome to both of you and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, let's start with uh, the executive order itself. You know, President Biden's executive order asked the, the Federal Trade Commission to curtail the unfair use of non-compete clauses and other clauses or agreements that may unfairly limit worker mobility. So with everything going on right now, why are non-competes so interesting that the White House would get involved? If, if you listen to the Biden administration, the president from the very beginning uh, of his administration has said that he's looking out for lower uh, wage workers and blue collar workers so they could have good paying jobs. And if you look at the uh, national landscape, non-competes are a creature of state law. And when you look at the changes that have happened recently, most of the protections uh, are for low wage workers and blue collar workers. So places like Maine uh, have instituted a threshold income for um, non-competes to apply or not apply. And if you're below the threshold, you can't use a non-compete. And that's a way to protect people who are in uh, lower level jobs who are striving to get promotions and get better jobs and non-competes prevent them from doing that. And I, my sense is that the Biden administration is trying to look out for uh, the blue collar worker or lower wage worker to make sure that there are protections in place for those people. Well, you mentioned that there are uh, states like Maine and then we know California has already has restrictions on non-compete clauses. I mean, is the issue so pervasive across the country uh, that the, the White House and the federal government needs to get involved? I can sort of take that. I mean, if you, if you look at the statistics, they sort of provide some numbers with this order. And so President Biden noted himself that, you know, one in five American workers without a college degree are subjected to non-compete agreements. Um, and the fact sheet that came out with the order stated that roughly half of private sector businesses require at least some employees to enter non-compete agreements. And so they state that that affects some 36 to 60 million workers. Um, and then separately, there was a 2019 report from the Economic Policy Institute that stated that 31.8% of private sector businesses uh, reported that all of their employees had to sign a non-compete agreement, regardless of their job duties or compensation, which is you know, kind of insane. It doesn't matter where you fall in the food chain, everyone's signing a non-compete. And I think a really prominent example of this is if you look back to, I think it was 2016, uh, was with Jimmy John's. They were essentially trying to include wildly harsh non-compete agreements in every single one of their hiring documents. Um, I think it barred departing employees from taking jobs with competitors of Jimmy John's for up to two years. And they were not allowed to work within two miles of a Jimmy John store that made sort of a certain part of their overall revenue. And so I think what we are seeing is that there is sort of this unconscionability on a national level that really is affecting 
low wage hourly workers. And I, I just don't think that is sort of uh, the point of non-compete agreements. And so I do think there is an element of this that it is, it is affecting um, low wage workers. It is affecting them on a national level. And there are some steps that make sense here to sort of be taken. Well, Biden's executive order doesn't seem to go after all non-compete agreements. It specifically has that language in there about unfairness or unfairly limit uh, worker mobility. So what exactly, you know, in terms of uh, the FTC, do you think will become unfair in for agreements? Well, the, the executive order talks about banning or limiting unfair agreements and the, and the selection of the word unfair is not happenstance. It's, it's on purpose because the FTC Act uh, allows the FTC to prohibit unfair methods of competition which is equivalent mostly to, to, to state law unfair business practice claims. So the, the, the term unfair is, is purposeful. And when you, when you look at any uh, non-compete agreement, there are three main provisions in it that, uh, that a company has to follow, which is typically it has to be reasonable for within a geographic limit. It can't have an unduly broad scope as to what, what's a competitive uh, position and it cannot have an, a, an unduly long term, you know, like two years. And where, it's un, where, where agreements are unfair is that they impose uh, these uh, unduly broad uh, provisions that aren't directed to protecting a legitimate business interest, right? So if you are a, a low wage worker at Jimmy's John's, uh, and, and you wanna get a better job in the, in the same field that, that'll pay you $15 an hour or $12 an hour, um, forcing that worker to go outside a limit and have to travel more uh, to, to get their job or move, it is an unfair imposition on them, especially if you're a low wage worker and travel costs actually mean something. So I think what uh, the FTC is going to be tasked to do is to uh, promulgate rules that are gonna fall within this um, ability to prohibit unfair practices uh, and try to put some guardrails around um, what the, what the non-competes can and can't do. Is there gonna be a, a clear category of provisions that are fair that companies can continue to use and states that allow them? Well, there, there could be, and if, as I mentioned earlier, if you look at some of the other uh, states uh, outside California, you know, in California, uh, any type of provision that uh, restricts your ability to practice a trade is void as a matter of public policy. So that's one end of the spectrum. But what we're seeing in others is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, there, there are presumptively unfair um, terms. And so typically, if a place, uh, if a state allows uh, non-competes, they'll limit those non-competes to one year, and they'll limit the non-competes to people um, earning uh, over a certain amount. Sometimes it's 300% of the federal poverty line. Uh, sometimes it's, it's based on um, whatever the uh, prevailing wage is in that state. There are different uh, metrics to, to, to measure who can fall within the scope of a, of a non-compete and who can't. Um, and I think that's where they're going to start defining what's fair, which is, um, are you a worker at a level 
uh, that it's fair to restrict your ability to get a promotion, to go to another job, to get a better paying job. Um, it, it's one thing if you're a high ranking executive, it's a different thing if, if you're working the cashier, at, you know, as a cashier at Jimmy John's. Yeah, and I think, and just jumping off that, I think also, you know, again, one of the main points, especially out in California that we see with these is, is concerning trade secrets. And so if you can show that in your former role, you know, you're not required to access trade secrets, uh, there's really no reason you should, um, you know, not be able to accept employment with a company, you know, that you wish sort of immediately after leaving your former employer. So, yeah, and the important part is what's considered uh, fair or unfair is a sliding scale depending on your jurisdiction. Well, and I and I guess something that's important here is just because you, as a company, get a non-compete clause into a, an employment agreement doesn't mean it's always going to be enforced there there are some ways that or several ways that you can push back at this point in time can you give us an idea of how those may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction yeah the most important one is uh whether a state is a blue pencil state as they say so california is not a blue pencil state meaning that if uh a court finds that a provision is unenforceable or unconscionable, they will not rewrite it to make it um, enforceable. They'll strike the entire provision, which motivates the, the employer um, to be a little more careful in, in drafting. Whereas other states are blue pencil states and, and what'll happen is that the court will rewrite the term uh, you know, from two years to one year or, or limit the geographic scope from say, you know, three miles to one mile. Um, often a lot of these, the, the, the geographic scope is national if it's a big company. But um, uh, that's one of the most important things about whether or not a provision is going to be um, enforced in some limited way or stricken. And it really comes down to blue penciling. So what happens in the, the new world where you have more remote workers? Where your uh, think, former California employee now lives in Utah. Is that going to be uh, a, a problem for litigation and going forward? But Go again, it, it, again, it depends on the jurisdiction. So in, in California, if you're a remote worker, um, there, uh, if you're employed by the California um, employer, even if you're working in Maryland, there's actually a case on this, um, you can, you, you're not subject to a non-compete. Even if the non-compete is under, say, Maryland law, um, the, the, the California court will override that choice of law provision as a matter of public policy and void the non-compete. Um, but that's not true everywhere, right? So the, the question is, uh, even if you're working remote, what's the locus of your employment and what are the rules there and uh, if you look at non-competes they're creatures of state law and they're all over the map and, and it really depends on what jurisdiction is going to be handling the dispute the other thing to keep in mind with these too is that when you when we're talking about unfairness these low-wage workers they can't afford to fight in a court right they have they don't have money to go, you know, if, if you're an executive making millions of dollars, you can go fight that. Or if you go to a, another company, they're willing to, to, to fund that defense litigation. But if you're a fairly low level worker, 
no one's going to defend you. And so there's a chilling effect to these things as well that we should make sure get, you know, it, it is pointed out because uh, if you can't fight it, the bully gets to win every time. Well, and it, and it seems like that just by including the provision in there, you may never hear the complaint about somebody wanting to go across the street and work at Subway. They just read it, comply with it and move on. So just the existence, even if you never intend to enforce it, is is a problem and maybe something the FTC will look at. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think in a lot of examples, we have actually seen cases where employers know that their provisions are unenforceable, but it just makes more sense from a business perspective for them to include, you know, extremely harsh language that's sort of threatening to their employees and sort of convinces them that, you know, it's not worth asking for that raise. It's not worth asking for that promotion. It makes sense to sort of just, you know, stake and find in your space. Um, so even when they don't plan to use them, it just makes more sense. Um, depending on what state you're in to sort of just include this, this relatively harsh uh, non-compete clause. Yeah, and in California, if, if you knowingly include an unenforceable provision in, in an employment agreement, uh, that's considered an unfair business practice, um, which is exactly what the FTC is, is, is designed to regulate at a, at a national level, right? So I think for the FTC, that's one of the things they can do as part of, of um, their their authority to prohibit unfair practices. I think knowingly including um, a provision uh, that is unenforceable uh, is going to fall right within um, the FTC's wheelhouse. Well, President Biden's executive order doesn't give a lot of guidance on how these, uh, you know, the new rules will be will be implemented. And, and I understand that's probably by design to let the FTC do its own work and, and go through and, and understand what needs to be done nationally. So what should we be watching for from the FTC to participate in the development of the new rules? So like I mentioned, Chris, I, uh, yeah, go ahead, Chris. No, go ahead, Joe. No, I was just gonna say, as Chris mentioned, you know, again, the rules haven't been put out yet at some point. They, they will be, and then there will be a period of sort of public comment that people can participate in. But I mean, I, I think the direction here seems relatively clear from President Biden's comments. Um, the odds are they're not going to ban non-competes outright. Um, I think most likely what we're going to see is a set of reforms, uh, like Chris talked about, can't apply to low-wage employees below a certain rate, uh, whether they're hourly or not. Um, you know, there may need to be some type of advance notice that a non-compete agreement is going to be, you know, required or included. Um, and so I think over, by and large, we're, it's already relatively apparent where this direction is headed. And I think we'll, like I said, see a small set of reforms uh, while leaving most uh, state law in place would be my guess there. But from a process perspective, the FTC needs to put out the proposed rules for uh, notice and comment. And what you'll see is the pushback uh, from uh, various uh, players in the industry uh, against whatever those rules are. And so if someone wants to see how this is going, they should definitely follow um, not only the proposed rules, but the pushback um, that you're, they're gonna get from the various industries and we'll see where it, where it ends up. The other thing to keep your eyes open for possibly is legislation. Uh, there's the Workforce Mobility Act that kind of got frozen in, 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 um, in Congress and, and Senator Rubio uh, put forth um, a, a proposal. And so what you might see 
uh, when the FTC uh, comes out with their proposed rules, you, that might spur some more discussion in Congress as to whether or not they, they should pass some laws. But, you know, as we know, given the gridlock that we see now, the, the chances of something passing in the near term is pretty low. Well, as these uh, proposed rules come out, uh, definitely we'll come back to you to, to get an update and see what you you make from the, the comment period and uh, find the next the next guidance for us. So thank you both, Joe, Chris, for, for joining us today. And I uh, look forward to talking to you again.